I'm a big fan of the expression cause and effect. You know that dance between two events or phenomena in which one occasion causes or nudges or contributes to bring about something completely different. I'll give you an example. Very recently, a parliamentary committee on food inflation brought three CEOs running Canada's largest food companies to Ottawa. We want you to defend your record profits at a time when so many Canadians feel the pain of rising food costs. That's an easy target. They are making record profits. But when you widen the lens and listen to both their testimony and when you listen to other experts, you see that the cause of food inflation involves many factors. It involves the, the value of our dollar, the rising cost of farming, transportation, climate change, and disruptions, including the war in Ukraine. And the grocers went on to say, you know, that for every $25 sold in the grocery store, we make a dollar in profit. So even if we took all our profit away, you would still be dealing with rampant inflation, cause and effect. My guest today is Dr. Suzanne Vickberg. You're going to find that she's incredibly intelligent, accomplished, educated, and she's also a wonderful author. Twelve years ago, her marriage broke up. Yet she continues to live under the same roof with her ex-husband, their two children, and yes, his new partner. And no, this isn't a Jerry Springer segment with revolving bedrooms and flying chairs, but it is an entertaining story, one with a compelling message. There are many causes for a marital breakup. Some are brought on by external forces like a slowing economy or financial insecurity that creates stress. And breaking up a marriage, especially when there are kids involved, can be very unpleasant for the individuals, their family and friends, and all the realities that come with dividing assets. A lack of trust plays a role, as do so many rampant emotional currents. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if you could divorce by design? with strategies to mitigate the unpleasant effects and create positivity for all involved. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. You're about to hear from Suzanne Vickberg. She's just written a best-selling book called Divorce by Design, In her LinkedIn profile, she describes herself as an author, psychologist, coach, unapologetic introvert, and divorce revolutionary. And a quote on her website says, our divorce is not our failure. It might be our greatest accomplishment. And when I did a little more digging, I also found out she's a chief researcher at Deloitte's Greenhouse, and she's appeared on television and radio stations across North America. She might declare herself as an unapologetic introvert, but I might have to apologize if I fail to keep up with this superhuman. Suzanne, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Oh, thanks, Tony. We have so much ground to cover, and our compass only points two ways, based on the simple directional question you pose to the reader on the cover of your book, Divorce by Design. And that question is, what if staying or leaving isn't our only option? That was your case 12 years ago when your marriage broke up, and we've got lots of time to unpack it. So take us back to how that unfolded. And why you chose a direction different than the question you posed in your book. I think that our marriage, like many people's, um, was just struggling. We really didn't feel happy together. We, you know, were arguing a lot. Um, I personally felt uh, lonely in the marriage, but also sort of claustrophobic and just like 
I couldn't quite believe that this was, this was it, right? This was the, the love relationship of my life that I would stay in forever. But I also couldn't imagine leaving. I had two small children. They were, by the time we decided to end our marriage, they were three and five. So the years leading up to, to that, they were even younger. And, you know, the, the, options that I saw were either just to stay in this state. Sure, we could keep working on it, but we had been working on it, weren't able to to make it better. Or I could leave and what felt like destroy my family. I really felt stuck for a very long time struggling with that. But after a while, I started thinking, you know, are those really the only two options, I just stay here as it is, or I leave and sort of ruin his life and ruin my kids' lives. Or like, might we be able to come up with something else? When we finally really started having the conversations about ending the marriage, I said, you know, I don't see why anyone has to move out. Like, why can't we still raise our kids together? We're, we're, we're good co-parents. We just, maybe the marriage part of it is not working out for us. And so I moved into the guest room one day and we never went back from there. And it's, it has really evolved, uh, from that point over time. We're going to talk about how it evolved, but you know, as you're coming to terms with this decision, I have to imagine you're sharing it with people close to you, whether that's your siblings or your parents or your friends. How did they react when you gave them this as a possibility? They reacted. They thought it was crazy. I mean, there were a couple of things going on. Uh, for one thing, because my marriage wasn't terrible, you know, because my my ex-husband is a good person and, you know, things sort of seemed from the outside pretty okay, people thought you know, that should be enough. You you should stay in that. Like there's so many people who really have terrible situations and your situation's not that bad. So why would you get divorced? But then when we started talking about, well, we're just going to stay here together. We're just going to live in the house together. Um, everyone that we talked to thought it was really would never work. Even people who conceded it might work for a little while told us that once one of us met someone else, uh, that would be the end of it. And um, everyone said it was a bad idea. And did you think about your kids? Because some people might have said, you're sort of, you know, it's, it's not going to work. This isn't going to last. So you're kind of slowly pulling off a Band-Aid. You know, they're still living in hope. I mean, especially young kids must be thinking, well, maybe mommy and daddy are having a fight, you know, but or did you ever worry about that? Or did you just say, you know, I'm I'm confident that we can make this work. Confident. Of course, I didn't know. I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but I mean, first of all, I think kids are a lot more flexible than we give them credit for. Um, and in fact, uh, we didn't tell them for maybe about the first six months. I mean, I had moved into the guest room, but they were so young, three and five. You know, we just sort of said I needed more space, which was true in multiple different ways. <laughs> um, and when we did tell them about six months in, uh, they were upset. Uh, but we said, Hey, you know, look, it's already been this way for six months and you didn't even notice. And this is how it's going to feel. Like we're not married anymore, but we're still a family. And my son, who was five or six at the time said to me, why didn't you tell us last summer? Because if you had, we'd be happy by now. So 
he already understood that the pain he was feeling was not going to last forever. I think that, you know, people wonder sometimes, is it not confusing for your children? Because, you know, you were married, now you're not married, and you still live together. And do they live in that hope? Sure. Lots of things are confusing to kids and they learn over time and they bring in their own experiences. And, you know, several years in, my son came home from school one day and told me, he said, Hey mom, guess what? Did you know that when some people get divorced, they get two separate houses? To them, this is, this is just their life. When people get divorced, one of the great tragedies is how the friends divide. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take the husband's side. I'm going to take the wife's side. Given that you two were still together in a sense, at least with the same domicile, did you find that happen to you with your friends that they were kind of people that you thought were going to be there for you? Maybe had moved on. I do think it was the case that there were some couple friends, you know, who didn't quite know how to interact with us uh, moving forward and maybe drifted away a little. We both had sort of individual friends or maybe, you know, we hung out with a couple, but really it was that me and the woman were friends first. It really has been a combination of things over the years. Some, some people have become my friends and some people have become his friends. And we still occasionally socialize together. Every once in a while, there'll be a, a party that they're invited to, and I'll go with them if it's people that I know. Or if they have people over, I might pop in and socialize with them for a while, or if I have people over, the same. So it's a real combination of, of our social circles um, and also sometimes keeping them separate. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Why does the the solution look the same for everybody? This divorce where we fight over things and have custody arrangements and alimony and sell our house and lose half your friends. And why is that the solution to so many problems that are actually quite different? My guest today is Dr. Suzanne Wittberg, an accomplished business person and the author of a brand new book called Divorce by Design. Suzanne, I'm just really enjoying this story. And as it turns out, your husband starts dating quite early on after you guys decide that you can stay together in the same home. How did that make you feel? I felt mixed emotions, honestly. And in a way, I think some of them surprised me. I didn't feel like I didn't want him to date. In, in fact, I, I wanted to date and I was happy for him to date. Uh, but once I found out that he was actually dating someone that, that seemed pretty quickly, um, to be getting a little more serious, I did have some emotions and I did feel upset sometimes, you know, him going out with her in our town to, a bar that we used to go to together and double dating with people that I knew. There was a time when she stayed at our house um, because I was away with the kids. We had worked through that first issue when they had been out in town. I had expressed my discomfort. We had worked through that. He then was trying to be very respectful, asked if it was okay for him to bring her to our town while I was out of town with the kids. And I said, bring her to the house if you want. That's fine. And I got in the shower when I got home and there was a pink razor there that wasn't mine. And at first I just thought it was funny because I knew she was there and it wasn't a problem. But 
I sort of told it to my friends as like, oh, this is a funny story. You know, we, we were still technically married. Like my, my husband's girlfriends left her razor in my shower, but other people got very bent out of shape, you know, and sort of said she did that on purpose. You, she was trying to send you a message and suddenly I got upset, um, based on other people's reactions. And so then we worked through that, but this was all before I ever met her. And what he was telling me was, if you meet her, you're going to see that she wasn't doing that on purpose and you're going to like her. And indeed, I did meet her after about six months and I did like her. It's such a beautiful story and your level of maturity and one of the great lessons that, you know, we work through that. We work through that because they're not easy things to work through. There's things that you could fight or flight, but you stayed and you made it work. And your website clearly states that there's no sex between you and your ex-husband. I have to believe you get asked that all the time. Yes, people are very curious. We actually went to um, Italy, the five of us, and stayed in a like a, a bed and breakfast type of place. And the host you know, came right out and asked us, but do you all sleep together or what is the situation here? You know, we, we always explain to people, but um, people are pretty curious about about how things work. Well, I opened the show hall with a cause and effect, and it would be so easy for people to judge you. And I think as they listen to the show, and I, that's why I want to get now to your book, which I thought was brilliant. I, and first of all, you're an incredible writer, lovely storyteller. You know, it's not one of these five steps to this or five steps to that. It's it's a human journey, which is like what I love to share on my podcast. First of all, what motivated you to write the book? Because now you're not just telling your small town who's judging you. You're, you're about to tell the world. And you're in a very accomplished career, woman. You've, you're a doctor. You have a PhD. And you're, you're going to let the world now know a situation that might have been covered on Jerry Springer, but not with the level of maturity and intelligence that you're talking about. So I'm curious why you wrote the book. I wanted to write it from the beginning. I mean, when we first started figuring this out. I, I think, you know, I, I like to express myself through writing. And so I started writing about it right away. Um, but I think it was everyone's reactions that made me want to really share our story because people reacted so kind of violently to, to us telling them what we were trying to do, that it was a real signal that this is not typical. You know, this is really unusual. From the beginning, you know, it's not that we haven't had challenges or bumps in the road, but it has worked so well for us that I just really wanted to share it as a possibility, you know, so other people could imagine possibilities for them because I remembered feeling so stuck because I did not see possibilities our way of doing it is just one way, but it shows people that it's not option A or option B. You can create a whole new option C, whatever works for you. And it doesn't mean you have to live with your ex-husband and his new wife, but you can create a situation that's different from the norm. You can create it in a way that works best for you. And so I just really wanted to bring together you know, my experience doing that, but also my expertise in creative problem solving, which I focus on in my job. I mean, there are techniques to help people do this, you know, and the judgment part, I'm very open about who I am. And, you know, I don't fit into everybody's idea of what a 
professional in a huge professional services firm should be like, and that's fine with me. You know, I think there are lots of people struggling with very personal issues and we can't really carve them out, you know, and have work over here and life over here. I just figure, you know, let me put it all out there. I hope that it helps other people embrace their own messiness, you know, and realize that they don't have to separate things out and they can, they can be who they are. So any of the motivation for writing the book, helping you rationalize why you could be so different and so happy versus the rest of the world, which gets very judgmental when they're going through divorce. And not only the people going through the divorce, but obviously the people judging, you know, the cause and effect of the divorce. It was any of that your own way of just saying, I have to figure out why I'm feeling this way? Or was it just? Um, maybe. And especially maybe in the beginning, you know, I, maybe that's part of why I felt the need to write about it. I mean, my, my therapist told me that I've saved $10,000 worth of psychotherapy by writing this book. Right. So it is a way to work it out. Like, you know, I have to figure out, um, all the nuances of it for myself in order to express it, um, for other people to try to understand. And, you know, in the book, while I'm trying to help people figure out their own situation, I'm, you know, very personal and sharing a lot of my own views and, and thoughts. And so wanting to write that in a way that's clear to people definitely is, is clarifying for me. And I tend to want to share things that I'm learning, you know, so as I'm learning about myself and what works for us. Um, but you call yourself an unapologetic introvert. I mean, I did a great interview with Susan Cain, The Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. But in many ways, not only did you write the book, you became a coach. You've decided to kind of step right into it and, and say, I, I might be able to help others. I don't understand the introvert labeling. You know, one of the characteristics of introverts, what I find really draining about being with other people is the surface small talk. I just, it's exhausting. But when I can go deep with someone and sit down and have a real conversation like you do every time you do one of these shows, Tony, I find that energizing. Part of my work often is to, to conduct workshops and, you know, sometimes I'm on stage speaking. You know, I can do all of that, but I find it draining. When I can sit down one-on-one -on -one with someone and really dig into what they want for their life and the barriers they see to getting there and how they can, you know, flip those or get around them. That's really fulfilling to me. That's like real deep conversation that I highly value as opposed to the like lots of surface conversations. So as a divorce coach, do you find that there's some people that come to you because they've read this book and are hoping for a similar outcome, because I have to believe to make this work to the level you made it work, but even to some of the principles in your book, you have to have a very open and honest relationship with your partner. Obviously, for a lot of people, um, they're not in a place where they're having, you know, open and honest exchanges. So some of it you can do on your own in terms of changing your own mindset about what the possibilities are. Now, if you're working with somebody who also wants to do that, it's going to be easier. I will say that some of my success in this area was lucky. I happened to be dealing with a partner who 
wanted to make this work. And then we got, you know, his partner who came in was also a very open-minded person who wanted to help make it work. When people don't have a soon-to-be ex that they can get along with or who is at all reasonable, it obviously is going to affect what they can accomplish. But you can still... Think about your own mindset, the level of empathy that you're using in your interactions, how much you're getting into this mind frame that you need to protect yourself from the other person, which is is one of the things that makes it so challenging for us to work together in divorce. Everyone says, protect yourself. You can examine all of those mindsets and what you would hope for in a divorce even if the other person is not being very cooperative. Do you prefer to coach one-on-one or with the couple? I have not coached couples, although I have recently had some inquiries about that. And so I am willing to try. I'm not a mediator. You know, that is not what my role is. So I would, you know, be clear with people that that this is not what I've typically done. I'd be willing to try it. It's really actually the ideal situation is a couple that can kind of work through this together. But it's not necessary in order for that to be helpful. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. When we return, we talk more about this unique relationship with Suzanne living with her ex and his new wife. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters. A big shout out to RBC for sponsoring the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards and shining an important spotlight on Canada's most impactful women. The ones who have demonstrated excellence both locally and globally. Canada's economy and our local communities need more women entrepreneurs to drive growth and positive social change. We'll all be better for it. Women entrepreneurs, they matter to Canada and they matter to RBC. So many people think a divorce is a failure of your marriage. To me, I'm like, you know, our marriage led to the life that we have now, which is a pretty great life, by the way. You know, this didn't just happen on its own. I mean, we put a lot into creating the life that we have. And so I see it as an accomplishment. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. My guest today is the author of Divorce by Design, Dr. Suzanne Vickberg. As you're trying to help an individual find a better emotional footing, how do you counter which often collapses that, which is when the conversation moves to money and assets and division of property? I'm curious at how you can keep people getting positive, having more empathy, starting to reclaim some trust. But at the same time, it's very possible they have two lawyers trying to completely counter everything you're doing. One of the important things, which is not easy to do, though, is to try to separate the emotion from the money. (laughs) You know, often people start to view that if they're angry, especially as a way to punish each other. Other times people have real, you know, legitimate concerns about whether they're going to be okay um, when their financial situation changes. Um, so, you know, there's real legitimate fear around it. In the book, I talk about just trying to think about, first of all, whether what you're fighting over is going to be worth how much you're going to spend to win it <laughs> in terms of, you know, spending money on lawyers, but also psychologically. Sometimes, you know, fighting over every nickel is going to actually do so much damage 
that the amount of money you get out of it might not be worth it. That said, if you don't have, you know, a financially comfortable enough situation, you, you may need to fight for the, for the finances. So I'm not suggesting to people don't fight for what you deserve, but especially if you're the person who maybe is in the more comfortable financial situation, I do talk to people about, you know, give more than you have to. Why would you not want this person to be okay? You know, I, I hear stories sometimes about people saying, well, I don't have to, you know, they, they still have to pay for half of this or that because that's what's in our agreement. Especially if this is a parent of your children. I think there are ways to be, to, to rise above that. Listen, I think your book is something people should read regardless whether their, uh, divorce is even in their, uh, on their compass. Cause I think there's some great, it's just great lessons between people. It's great conversations to have. What would you say are the three takeaways from your book that you said, if I'm successful and people read this book cover to cover, or even skip through it, like a lot of people do nowadays, they walked away with these three things, then my time writing this book is time well spent. What would they be? Divorce is not always terrible. And that's really a message for the people who are staying in a marriage that is making them unhappy and unfulfilled and possibly making their whole family unhappy because they think the alternative is too terrible. Sometimes there are other ways and sometimes it doesn't have to be terrible. And in fact, my life and the life of my whole family is so much better now since we got divorced. Uh, so that's one. The second is don't oversolve. So don't solve for problems you don't have. And that's, you know, in my book, why I really encourage people to get extremely clear on what are you solving for? In my case, it was not that I had a partnership with someone I couldn't stand to be in the room with or who was trying to control me or was doing anything terrible. We didn't want to be married. We didn't want to have a romantic relationship. We solved for that by ending the marriage. But you know, having my kids only half the time wasn't going to solve the problem of not feeling connected to my spouse. So solve for the problems you do have. Don't oversolve. Don't, you know, do all of this other stuff just because it's what people usually do. And then I think related to that, you have to get very clear on what you want and listen to your own voice because everybody will give you advice if they hear you're getting divorced, whether or not they know anything about divorce. If you listen to everyone, chances are you're going to end up with the same horrible divorce that a lot of other people have. If you can get clear about what's important to you and what are your values and what do you want and what's the best case scenario, you can come out the other side with a life that looks closer to what you ultimately want. I want to talk to you personally now, not just the book. When you're getting so involved in other people's lives, when they're heading for a breakup, how do you find a way to balance their pain, their journey, and still allow you to live this journey of happiness and fulfillment? It can be hard when you're um, around people who are going through divorce. It can be extremely painful. There is a lot of a negative emotion sometimes. But I feel like I'm able to separate it because, you know, I don't bring it with me. I don't carry it around with me. My experience has been great. My life is one that I'm 
I'm very happy. It's not perfect. I don't have a perfect life, but it's one I'm very happy in. I have lots of divorced friends who have created happy lives. Even if their divorce was nothing near as positive as mine, they've come out the other side and created happy lives. And so I guess it's just maybe balancing, you know, spending time with people who are in the thick of it and really having a hard time with experiences of, of seeing what it can look like when people do get through it. And even when people are in the thick of it, there are often moments where they are already working hard to see silver linings, even in the parts, even if they didn't want this, you know, even if it was their ex that left. You can see people looking for those silver linings, you know, and I would always encourage them to find it, but often I don't even need to do that. People are doing it themselves and it's beautiful to watch people struggle back and forth between the pain and the sometimes hope and excitement of what things could look like once they get through sort of the the really messy beginning part of it. I have to imagine you've moved out of the guest room because it's been 12 years now. So we built onto our house for a while. I thought, well, maybe I'll get an apartment, you know, and go back and forth and do what's called nesting where the kids stay and I move in and out. Um, but it seemed really complicated and not like a life I really wanted. So we built um, onto the house what is a, a, a private apartment, basically, but it's connected on both floors of the house to the rest of the house. So I have my own kitchen, my own front door, my own stairway up to my bedroom, my bathroom. But if the doors are open, it feels like one big house. And we just all wander in and out. The kids go wherever they want. The whole house is theirs. Um, Tim and Anna will will come into my kitchen. Um, I'll go into theirs. But if I shut my doors then it's a it's a private apartment. The kids will still wander in and out. But if my doors are shut, uh, Tim and Anna would knock if they wanted to come in. If I didn't want anyone to come around, I could let people know like, hey, I'm having company. I'd rather, you know, be alone. And this way we all are with our kids every day. Uh, when I travel or go out, I don't have to make any arrangements or change anything. You know, now the kids are teenagers, but even when they were little, I could just say, Hey, I'm going to be gone, you know, Tuesday through Thursday this week and just go because nobody has to change anything other than maybe cook an extra dinner. And how about Tim? I mean, I read a quote you said that your, your husband said it's like having two wives without the benefits. But is there ever times when the, when you and Anya sort of decide you're right and you're wrong, Tim, and sort of work together to try to... I don't know. It uh, doesn't probably <laughs> often um, come to ganging up on him, but but she and I... I'm saying nudging. I would never use the word yeah, ganging up. A little course. nudge. <laughs> of course. Well, she and I often do more of the logistical planning and communicating with each other. And then she will sort of let him know what we've worked out because, you know, one of the issues in our marriage was our difficulties, Tim and I communicating with each other. You know, maybe I ask him something and he seems annoyed and then I'm upset that he seems annoyed. And, you know, all of the dynamics that made our marriage hard. I don't have those with Anna. We're also big planners, both of us, and we're very into calendars and whatever, which he's not so much. So we work it out together. And then it's sort of like, I'm responsible for my 
half of things. They together are responsible for their half, so they can work it out. I don't need to be in the middle. And Anna has actually played mediator between me and Tim, you know, at various times when we've had an issue we're struggling with. I mean, I trust her that much that she feels like a neutral party, even though they're they're married to each other. And, and how about your boys? How are they? Are they proud that they can as they've grown up? They kind of show this off as kind of the, the, a modern day Brady Bunch. Yeah, I don't know if they show it off. They're certainly comfortable with it. All their fr- you know their friends are all at our house all the time. Everybody knows um, about it. My son uh, wrote his college essay about our our living situation and how it's helped him be a more creative thinker. So, you know, I do think that it certainly has impacted them in in many ways. I mean, for one thing, just having three engaged parents, you know, in their lives. But I have to believe at times having three engaged parents, they would consider not a good thing. Well, they try to take advantage of it. I'll tell you, they definitely will will uh, go to one parent and then when they get a no. Go to the soft touch oh, and then yeah, work they, it over. Yeah, they know what they're doing. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Dr. Suzanne Vickberg. She's an accomplished lady who's come up with a whole new insight that divorce doesn't have to simply be, should I stay or should I go? You're such a trailblazer with this sense it doesn't have to be that way. What are you going to do with this insight? I mean, obviously, you're going to help people with your coaching and people that read your book. But where do you plan to take this? Because you could impact the positivity and possibility for so many couples. How do you share this with the world? What's next for you? You know, I'm not really sure. You know, I've been writing this book forever and I put it down to work on other projects and picked it back up. You know, my first goal around this was like, I just have to get this book done and get it out into the world because this is my best representation. You know, I feel that, you know, especially as an introvert, I communicate best in writing and I can do podcasts and I can do coaching and I can get on a stage and speak if I need to. But my best, most clearest form of communication is writing. And so for now is just getting as many people as possible to know about the book because you can write the best book in the world, but if no one knows about it, it's not really going to help anyone. And what's the best place to get hold of you? Like, do you go to Indigo or Amazon or is there a site that they should go to that, that you think is probably the best place to learn about you? Well, so I have a website. It, the easiest way to find it is SuzanneVickberg.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Suzanne Vickberg again. I'm on Instagram, Suzanne Vickberg. The book is for sale, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, Divorce by Design. You can just look it up and, and get it there. Um, but you know, I invite people to connect with me in, in any of those places. If they have questions or want to share stories or, or find out more, this is just going to evolve over time, you know. So I have two more questions for you. The first is, how does Deloitte and your peers feel about this because you know that's one of the most respected consultancies you're doing amazing work there were they supportive or did you feel you were judged this similar the way you were, might have been judged in your small town 12 years ago i don't know i've been pretty public about this ever since um i've been with deloitte um in terms of the people who know me um i did have to get permission to write the book i did do that um because it's you know it's obviously separate from my from my work there 
But, you know, I just actually spent two days in Dallas with 200 of my closest colleagues and um, lots of people asked me about how's the book going. I recently was on a podcast called Time to Sing Your Song with Mike Kearney, who is a former Deloitte partner. Who knows what the people who don't say anything to me are thinking, but I have had people thank me for destigmatizing divorce. And I think people just see it as, you know, part of my, of my personal life that I'm being very open about. And, you know, a lot of people just find it very interesting. So they, they want to talk about it. You personally, have you found love? Have you found relationships? Have you found a way to introduce within that family unit that, that there's also a side of you that says, I deserve love? Well, I, I will say I have tried and I'm trying. I have dated a lot and I have had a few relationships that have been like a year or more, but, you know, for various reasons did not stick. It can make it a little bit challenging. People often don't understand what's going on. And when people come to the house, then they do tend to get it in a different way. But I don't bring people here, you know, on a first date. So it has been frustrating to date. But also, I'm a pretty independent person with a lot of things going on and a lot of very close friendships. I sometimes feel like, you know, I'm not sure, just like our divorce looks different. I'm not sure that you know, having a sort of traditional partner that I'm going to live with or get married to is in the cards for me. You know, I always end my podcast with my three takeaways. And, and the first one is you're just a remarkable human being. And I wish people could see your smile and your energy, but you're remarkable in the sense that you're calm, thoughtful. I just find that the fact that we, we work this through, Anya and I are working this through. It's about... Finding that middle ground. And I think that's just such a great piece of advice for people. The second one is that, you know, you didn't do this for fame or you didn't do this, you know, because the bestseller. I think what I truly love is you've come up with something that, that was so obvious. A, B, and now there's a C and nobody ever even considered C and you guys are living that. And that insight, whether as you said, you choose to continue to live together or live apart, you can do it with positivity and possibility. The person you're divorcing doesn't have to be your enemy. The person they might bring into their life doesn't have to be your enemy. And I think that's just beautiful insight that there's so many people that might be struggling in their marriages to look forward to. And the final thing, which your honesty is saying, when I'm working with clients and they go between pain to that silver lining in the cloud, and they start seeing this hope and they start seeing there's a new day coming and just how wonderful that makes you feel. And I think that's just a beautiful reason why you've been put on this planet, to be this kind of Yoda that helps people move on with their life and maybe take away the cement and not only just start walking again, but skipping and even running. And boy, there's so many people out there that deserve that. So for all of that and more, I am just so delighted that you came on the show. I am so grateful that you invited me. Thank you. Joining me now is Samika Kabir. She's the Director, CFS Strategy for Women in Business, Black Entrepreneurs, and Business Owning Planning. That's quite a title. <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, 
um, it, it's an exciting um, mandate. And so what is the mandate? Just tell me a little bit about what you're doing, because I'm always fascinated at these unique jobs at RBC that have seem to have very little to do with credit cards and, and mortgages and everything to do with just sort of uh, helping people thrive. Oh, so true. Uh, but it does come down to basically what I think everyone at RBC is aiming towards. How do we best serve our clients? And so my role in particular, my focus is focus on women in business, black entrepreneurs, um, and I also have business owner planning. But the idea is how can we best serve our clients in those segments, regardless of which industry they may be in um, and what stage of business maturity they may be in. You know, my guest today is Suzanne Vickberg. And what I love about what she did is she decided that the status quo when it comes to divorce wasn't something she was prepared to accept. My point is, I'm not sure that's for everybody, but what role does an organization like RBC play when those big moments in life happen, when suddenly finances have to be divided or people have to go on their own and seek their own path in life? I loved the fact that Suzanne challenged the norms and the societal expectations. She thought creatively and she found a solution that made the most sense for her and her family. And honestly, when it comes to your finances, we end up doing something similar. Anytime there's a lifestyle change, uh, drastically, especially, um, you know, there are often financial implications. And so the solution that works for you will often require a village to make it a reality. Organizations like uh, a bank or uh, other institutions There are three things that we should be doing. Um, Understanding um, our own needs and patterns. So you're able to uh, define what goal it is, whether it's to start a new business, to save money, go back to school. Um, There will be financial implications. So you need to be realistic about what your actual goal is. Second, seek out the knowledge and advice. Um, You know, read books, listen to podcasts. Uh, talk to people who know you, who know your situation, and then come talk to people who deal with the issue that you're going through. We can provide that advice, whether you want to buy a new home or like Suzanne was, you know, uh, reading through her uh, book, you were realizing that, you know, she was adapting her living space to accommodate uh, for, for the new arrangement. Talk to your financial planner. The idea is to explore the options that are out there so that you can evaluate what aspects work, what doesn't work. And, you know, if there isn't a cookie cutter solution out there, that's okay. Let's think about what else is out there and what we can do. And then there's the third thing, and this is probably the most crucial one. Be brave. Uh, So let's take that step to make your solution a reality. Because, you know, the truth is, Tony, we always do these mental analytics in our head anyway when we're dealing with situations. And so my advice is break it down, bring in the experts to work with you and tackle it in these three steps so that you feel more confident when you are about to solve it. What can organizations and individuals do to support women, whether they want to chase their dreams within uh, the work environment or even start their own business? So, for example, um, when it comes to women in business, the first and most important thing that they need is financing and funding. But in order to facilitate that, you know, they need access to networks, experts, so that they can start up, scale up, do they have the opportunity to own property? Do they have access to um, health care, education, advice? Are they supported through policies, infrastructure and 
let's face it, societal expectations uh, when it comes to like childcare or any kind of caregiving and other non-paid work. So basically, um, you know, by making sure that women have these opportunities, I feel like, you know, we will be benefiting the whole economy and tapping into that $150 billion uh, opportunity we were talking about. And what else are you working on? Is there anything you want to share with the group? Basically, in my current role, um, I work a lot with women entrepreneurs and for women entrepreneurs. So in that capacity, I'm always focused on finding ways uh, that focus on um, supporting their journey, entrepreneurial journey. And so uh, how are we making sure that they have the access to the capital that they need for what they need and when they need it. Um, how are they getting the right level of advice, which means uh, from our perspective, understanding both their personal financial goals and their business goals and providing them with the right uh, solutions and resources. We're also always looking to, for opportunities to connect uh, the entrepreneurs uh, to, to uh, networks and each other so that they can um, foster and build relationships and opportunities for their own growth and development. We are always looking to, um, you know, profile their stories because that inspires others to think differently and, and be resilient. Samika Kabir, I hope that you send some of those stories my way because those are the stories we love to share. And if you do, you have to promise to come back on Chatter That Matters. Absolutely. Anytime. I'd be delighted. Thank you for having me. Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.